Well, good morning. I want to welcome you also to our service this morning. Uh, for those that may not know, my name is Brian Robertson, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, as Jake was saying, uh, if this is your first Sunday worshiping with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Very glad that you would spend part of your weekend with us as we gather in the name of Jesus, as we do every weekend, to be reminded of who God is and who we are and what God may be calling us into. If this is your first Sunday, uh, and not only would you stop by at the guest service area on the lobby for the gift that we have to give you, but if you have a little bit of patience with me this morning, I'd love to meet you personally. I'll be up here in the front part of the worship center, and if you can just kind of hang tight for a little bit and come up and introduce yourself to me, I'd love to just spend a moment or two getting to know you a little bit, but very grateful to have you with us. Well, as we've already mentioned already in the service here, this is the second week of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, as we celebrate and we get ready to uh, remember the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ that first Christmas morning. It's this time of year that we set, set apart, not only in our normal calendars, but in the calendar of the church, that we set apart these weeks to consider the implications of Jesus and his birth. Uh, not only 2,000 years ago, what it happened and what it meant for those guys back then, but what it means for us now, what it means for us today, that Jesus is, is here, that he's come to be with us, to be near us. The series, the series that we're in, we're calling Light in the Dark, where we're seeking to understand Jesus as the true light that has come into this world, this dark world, and even in our lives that may seem dark and kind of uncertain, that God has come into these places to burst his goodness and to burst his light there and to, sh- to kind of shun away the darkness, that the light has come and it makes everything different. If you were here last week, then you remember that we mentioned that at the end of each of these services of Advent, as we go through the month of December, that we're going to have moments where we're just going to believe that God wants to do something in your life, that God wants to show up in your life and in your situation in a way that is unmistakable, in a way that only He can. So we're going to set a time both on the, this side of the worship center and on that side where there's uh, prayer altars and there will be people that will gather for you and to pray over you and to pray with you. If you have a, an issue that you want to be anointed for, they'll anoint you with oil. They'll pray over the, an issue, a burden, or some kind of um, thing that is kind of str- that you're struggling with. And so I just want to give you a heads up that today, again, we are just believing that God not only shows up 2,000 years ago on the scene, but he shows up today, and his desire is that his light would shine through our darkness and that we would experience him not only in our service so far, but in the, in the parts where we can gather and to pray and to be prayed over. And so just to give you a heads up, once again this morning, we're going to uh, set apart some time. And if you have an issue or a, or a burden or something that you're carrying with you, uh, then I'd invite you to come during those responsive times at the end of the service and to be prayed for. And just believe that Jesus wants to show up in your life today in a way that's unmistakable, in a way that he can be glorified. So whether it's emotional or it's relational or it's financial or some kind of burden that you bear or that you're carrying with you, we're bringing those to the foot of Jesus and we're asking him to show up for his light to shine. His light to shine. Well, this morning, in the, considering the Jesus' story and his narrative and the, and the light coming into the darkness, we're going to look at the way in which light and the coming of Jesus can come into, a, into our areas of worry and fear and anxiety and can chase them away. How light comes in and chases away the darkness of fear and insecurity and uncertainty and anxiety. And we're going to use Mary as our guide here. And Mary's story is going to help us understand how we might pursue Christ like this. 
as we get into our story, our story is going to be in Luke chapter 1. So if you uh, will bow with me, let's pray, and then I'll get into the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1. Jesus, we are humbled and in awe that you have come to us, that you desire to meet us where we are and to lead us to eternal life, that you don't wait for us to clean ourselves up or to kind of get our act together, but you come to us as we are and then lead us. So may you meet us this morning, and may as we open up Mary's story and, and as we look at her response, may we be challenged where we are to be led by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said in Luke chapter 1, so if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and go through 28. If you have an app or something on your phone, you may want to open that up as well. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screens with me as I read. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Luke writes this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Fear is a pretty common response in the Christmas story. Zechariah, Joseph... Mary, the shepherds, just about everybody that gets encountered with this angelic response, this angelic proclamation, are gripped with some amount of fear. And so the angels have to tell everybody, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In fact, that's actually a part of all of God's story, Older Testament and the Newer Testament. Whenever someone comes face to face with the angelic or when, with God and shows up, the natural response is, is one of fear. There's, there's one of trembling. There's one of awe that you just recognize who you're standing in front of and what they're speaking of you. But as we look at Mary's story this morning, where, while there's fear, where there's kind of a, an awe that comes over her and wonder what's happening, notice how things happen when the light of Jesus shows up and bursts through her fear. Because while there's fear and while there's uncertainty, while that may be true, Mary has a different response too. Because Jesus, in the light of God's story, in the light of God's truth, bursts through and chases away the fear and worry and anxiety. So the first thing I want us to notice in this passage is how fear is a natural response to uncertainty. Fear is a natural response to uncertainty. Listen to how Mary's response to the angels first appearing and what, what happens here. Again, in Luke chapter 1, 21, not 29 and 30, she's, and then Luke says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. That word great, greatly troubled means that she was scared. She, she was fearful. She didn't know what was going on because she had her life planned. She knew what was going on, what was going to happen. Joseph was this great guy she was engaged to. She had hopes of a dreams and of a family and, and raising up in this family in, in Nazareth and what they would do. And, she, and then in a moment's notice, in just a single moment, everything changes. And all of her plans of certainty become uncertain. And she's fearful. She's scared. There's a moment where her heart just begins to stop for just a second. And she's scared. The angel disturbs her plans. She already had certain plans of all the things mapped out. And instantly she's confused and she's not sure how it's all going to go down. And her certainty is replaced with uncertainty. So the angel has to remind her to not be afraid. For God is with her. And while you and I don't have the same situation as this young teenage peasant girl in Nazareth some 2,000 years ago, while we don't have that same kinds of things going on, we may not have angels showing up, we've had plans. And we've had plans that have been humming along and going as they were supposed to go, and we've mapped it all out, and we know how things are going to happen, certain how things are going to go, until something happens. And all of our plans and all of our certainty is exchanged for uncertainty. And everything is flipped on its head. Life changes. And the future that we once thought was so certain, once thought was so plain to see, becomes uncertain. And fear kind of creeps in. Gina and I have had a number of these experiences in our life together, as I'm sure many of you have. Moments when we thought that we had it all planned out, we had it all mapped out, we knew our 10-year, 15-year, 20-year plan, we knew exactly what was going to go on, and all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, things are flipped on its head, and that which was certain is replaced with the uncertain. And in those moments, fear sits in. Fear sits in. I can remember in February 2001, I was in San Diego, and Gina was six months pregnant with our first daughter, Samantha. In the middle of the night, I received a phone call that while Gina was six months pregnant, her water broke. And I was in San Diego, and she was in Sacramento area, and I couldn't do anything. I mean, I couldn't do anything because I didn't know what water broke meant, so I, was, I had a little bit of a loss there anyway. But in the middle of the night in San Diego, I got a phone call, and everything turned on its head. I was supposed to go to class that day. Finished up some seminary stuff, and everything changed. In the morning, I jumped on a plane, and I flew up to Sacramento, and Gina and I waited in the hospital for about four or five days before Samantha was born, three months early. Three months early. And for three months, we basically lived in the NICU, in the hospital. We had plans. We knew how things were going to go. And in a moment's notice, everything changed. That which was, which was certain was changed for the uncertain. And in those moments, fear crept in. And how is things going to work out? How is this all going to make sense to us? I remember being on the practice field when I was coaching youth football to have another coach from one of the other teams come down, shaking voice a little bit, and to tell me that my oldest son, Alec, had been hurt pretty badly on the field. And while he didn't know all the situation, I had to come up pretty quick and check it out. And I didn't know what was going on. Come to find out that a bigger guy had rolled over his, Alex's leg and had slightly torn his MCL and his ACL in his leg. 
and he's laying on the ground and he barely can move. And for those moments, as small or big, for those moments, fear set in. Because I had no idea how it was going to turn out. I had no idea. I, the practice plan and everything that was going on for the football field that day, we had certain things. And all of a sudden, the certain things were exchanged for uncertainty. And when uncertainty creeps into our life, fear rises up in all of us. And if we spent the time to go around the room this morning, I bet we could come up with stories after story where you had mapped out plans, things that were certain, and in a moment's notice, a phone call happens in the middle of the night, or you open the door, or somebody come tells you, or, or you get a slip in your box at work, or something happens, and that which was certain is now uncertain. And when uncertainty comes into our life, whether it's small things or big things, we realize how vulnerable we actually are, how vulnerable we are. That no matter our best attempts, no matter how much we try to have control over our situation or how we're going to do things, there really is not much we have control over. There really isn't. And fear reminds us that we're not in control of our situations. And in that way, it's kind of a good thing, actually, because it draws us to be dependent on the one who does have control. Fear is a natural response to things that are immediately come to our ways, that kind of thing. But when the dust settles, we can almost kind of move on, right? For our story and these things, Samantha and Alec, they're both doing great. They're both doing great. But some people, they live with this kind of low-grade sense of fear and anxiety and worry that just kind of runs beneath the surface all the time. They're always thinking of the worst-case scenario. They're always kind of worried about one thing or another, and they just can't really get out from under it. Worry or anxiety is just kind of like their best friend. They're just close to them all the time. And that kind of constant fear, that kind of low-grade, constant worry or anxiety can be overwhelming. And it can actually be crippling to our life. But for the follower of Jesus, for the follower of King Jesus, the one that bursts on the scene that first Christmas, there's a better way. Because light has come into the darkness of fear and worry and anxiety and has chased it away. And is that kind of fear that Jesus comes to eliminate. He comes to just chase it completely away. And while fear is a natural response to the uncertain, it leads me to the second thing I want to say about Mary. Because Mary has a heart, has cultivated a heart that trusts. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, she has a heart that trusts. And she's cultivated it. When fear sets in and the uncertain happens, when we experience what some people call like a shell shock, like you're just frozen, you don't know what's going on, your heart stops for just a moment, and Mary's not sure how it's all going to pan out. She's not sure what's going to happen, what are people going to think about her, what's Joseph going to say, all these different things. But in response of all that fear, the angel just says, don't worry about that, the Lord is with you. And in response to that, response to Mary, to, to the angel's uh, demonstration of God's presentness with her, Listen to what Mary says in verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the Lord left her. The angel left her. Some translations say, may it, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. Somehow with all the unknowns, with all the fear, with all the anxiety, with all the worry, with all the things that could go wrong, with all the worst case scenarios, Mary had surrendered to God's plan and God's purposes through it all. 
And I don't think this was some kind of forced response. I don't think it was some kind of twist your arm kind of response. But she had kind of cultivated a desire and a heart to trust in God. She had a way of trusting. While she still had questions, no doubt. While she still had uncertainty, for sure. And in the midst of that, she had a way of trusting in the goodness of God. She had learned to trust in God through all things. Somehow, in her young self, 13, 14, 15 years old, she had cultivated a confidence in God that I think we can learn from. Because the question for us is how do we, as people who face fear and anxiety and worry and all the things that come with, with uncertain situations, how do we become people like Mary who has this confidence in Jesus, in God, this trust in God? We hear the command in the book of Proverbs to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he will guide our paths. We hear that command in the Old Testament for sure, right? And we also hear it, Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, first, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness above all else. And all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. We hear those things, but for some of us, we just think that that's just too good to be true. Like, no, how can anyone not be worried or afraid or anxiety or have any kind of these fears kind of grip us? How can you not do that? We just think it's, it's unrealistic. It, it just won't ever happen. But the truth is, that, and Mary is a good example and good guide here, that we can indeed train ourselves to trust Jesus. We can train our hearts to trust, even in the face of uncertainty and the face of fear. And it won't come automatic. It's not just say a magic prayer and then poof, it just happens. But it will develop over time as you cultivate and train your heart to trust in God. So how do you do that? Well, let's try it for a second. I want you to think of a situation that's causing some aspect of fear or worry or anxiety. Some situation. It may be a small thing. It may be a big thing. Think of some situation. Bring that issue to the forefront of your mind right now. Think of something. Fear, anxiety, worry, something that's kind of a deal. And as you have that in your mind, quietly and in your heart, recite Mary's prayer. Thinking of this issue, we simply say, may it be to me as you have said. May your word be fulfilled. And then consciously, just let it go. Just let it go. And every time the fear comes back in, every time that uncertainty creeps back in, you take a deep breath and you recite the simple prayer, may your word be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you say that prayer right now and you walk out the doors and all of a sudden it never, it never hits you anymore. You're never fearful anymore. No, it doesn't. But you can begin to train your heart to trust in God, even when you don't have all the answers, even when you don't have all the certain things, even when you don't understand. You can begin to train your heart to have a cultivated response of trust. Trust. Leads me to the third thing I want to say about Mary, and that is she is one who recognizes the strength of God's love. The strength of God's love. See, the most prevalent narrative of God in our world today is that God is an angry God. 
that he's watching us very closely and he's real eager and likes to punish us. And we will always have difficulty trusting in someone who scares us. And if our understanding of God is one that threatens and one that hurts, then we'll have a difficult time trusting him with our life. We'll have a difficult time leaning into him and trusting him. But Jesus boldly proclaimed that the, that the God the Father is good, that he is loving. And all, throughout all the stories, Jesus describes God as one who is altogether good, always looking for our best, always out for our best interest, our good. Even when we can't understand it, even when we don't see it, or we don't see how it's all going to work out, God is always working for our good. And along with the short prayer of Mary, may it be to me as you have said, some traditions through history have regularly, as a part of their, part of their worship, they've integrated this phrase that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We will not go very far in developing and cultivating a heart that trusts God until we actually see and experience the radical goodness of God's love. The radical goodness. Because central to God's characteristic, central to his heart is love. And the Christmas story, more than any story ever, the Christmas story demonstrates God taking the initiative to love us through his perfect love and to desire good for us. It wasn't his anger or his disappointment that drove him to send Jesus for us. It was his perfect love for us and his desire to see us experience the good and eternal kingdom even now and into the rest of eternity. It's his perfect love for us, goodness, desiring what's best. And in our life, we may take small steps towards trusting God, but if we're not sure and if it's not settled in our heart that God is wanting what's best and what's good for us, then whenever uncertainty comes back in, then we'll fall right back into a pattern of, of fear and anxiety and worry. See, the reason why Mary is able to persevere in the midst of uncertainty is because she has cultivated a heart that trusts, that leans into the goodness and the strength of God's love for her, for all of us. This is why the Apostle Paul is writing to his friends in the church of Ephesus who were experiencing some uncertainty, didn't know what was going on and where things were going to happen from there, where they were going to progress, where they were going to go. That's why he writes this and as his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when we know this love that surpasses all knowledge, then friends, we will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We need to train ourselves to rest in that goodness and in that truth, that the strength of the good loving God that chases away our fear and our anxiety and our worry. So when uncertainty happens and when the phone rings and we're unsure of the future, that we're not completely rocked, 
because we have cultivated a heart that trusts, a heart of faith. So here I want you to do this again. Take just a moment and bring that fear back up to your mind. Remind yourself of that. That aspect of worry or of anxiety, of the things that are, that are there. And just rest in the truth of God's wide, high, deep love of Christ for you. That he wants what's good. His perfect, never-ending love is for you. And you can trust him. And you can let that go. And in those ways we can say, may it be to me as you have said, may your will be done. Because his love and his way are perfect. Now while things may not always turn out the way we want them to turn out, we we remind ourselves that we have not surrendered to God in order to get our way. We've surrendered to God because we are learning to trust in his way. See the difference. We're not surrendering to God in order to get God to do what we want him to do. We are surrendering to God because we are learning to trust in his way, that his way is actually loving and good and best, even when we don't understand it, even when it seems contrary to the way in which we would work it all out, because his ways are always good, because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It's a good thing for us to conclude the service this morning with the Lord's table because at the Lord's table, we tell each other again of the goodness of God's love, of his sacrifice on your behalf, of washing us afresh and new. So this morning, when we receive communion, I want you to bring whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever worry, whatever thing that is uncertain for you. I want you to bring it to the table. Bring it with you in your mind. And as you are spoken over that this is the body of Christ which is given for you. This is the blood of Christ which is shed out for you. That you would receive that it has not only come to just kind of give us eternity, but it has come to light, has come into our dark area of our world to burst out, to chase away the darkness of fear and anxiety and worry. And we can cultivate a heart that is learning to trust in God. As we come this morning to receive communion, we are training ourselves to surrender to the goodness of God under his good leadership. And like I said before, there may be something, a burden that you need to be prayed for, prayed over or anointed with oil. And I want to encourage you again, there'll be people on either side of the worship center at both of the kneeling rails. And you can go and be prayed for. Just simply tell them the simple thing that you need to be prayed over and they will love to pray for you. Lay their hands on you, bless you. They will pour oil on your forehead. They will care for you and they will take care of good. And we will experience the goodness of God together. Jesus is here in our midst and his desire is to meet us where we are and lead us to eternal life. To meet us where we are, to chase out the darkness of fear and anxiety and worry so that we may trust in his utter goodness, his grace. In a moment, the ushers are going to dismiss you and they're going to come from the backs, and you're going to come on the right-hand side of your section to kind of make a little circle around your deal. There'll be four stations up here. You can kind of come up, receive the elements, and then kind of cycle back around each of your sections. You can either take the bread and the cup here, or you can take it back with you to your, to your chair, and you can uh, celebrate it back there. And we practice open communion, which basically means if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come. 
to meet Christ in this moment. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is a meal that we ought to have uh, a time of reflection on and to, and to, to kind of search our hearts as we come to this meal. And we're not to reflect to see if we're worthy enough for this meal because this meal is a meal for sinners, people in need of a Savior. But we're to search our hearts to recognize that Christ desires to meet us and to bring the areas that we would like to see God show up and we bring those with us. We recognize the sacredness of this meal. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and then just have a moment of quiet reflection. And in a second, then we will lead you through our communion liturgy. So let's do that now. Let's bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're serving communion, you can come and get yourself ready. And then in a moment, we'll lead you through our liturgy on the screens.